Acts chapter 15. Oh. So, let me do this. I'm going to turn this lapel mic on. The one that distributes gifts. And he gave me a very soft voice. And I've been told by many people over the years, they can't hear me. So, I'll use this. Okay. 30 through... 41. Is that right? Right. Okay, verse 30. Hear God's perfect word. When they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with a lengthy message. After they spent some time there, they were sent away from the brothers in peace to those who had sent them. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed at Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening uh, the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you, Lord God. It shows us um, our sins. It shows us you, our Savior. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would conform us into the image of the Beloved, Be with my preaching, Lord. I pray that the words of the sermon would be the words of your book and you would have mercy upon me and keep my own foolishness or sin away from the sermon. And it would be your voice, Lord, that we hear. And um, to your glory, help us, Almighty God, worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Well, if you've not been with us, I'd like to give a little context of what I just read, because we we jumped into a particular passage which begins in chapter 15, verse 1, that has some context to it. So if you're new and you just know what I read, you might not know the, the, the backstory of this particular letter. Chapter 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council or the Jerusalem Synod, the Jerusalem Presbytery it's a meeting of the apostles and the elders, the presbyteroi. And being Presbyterians, we think the elders and the bishops, the episcopoi, are the very same guy. The elder is his age. The overseer, which is episcopoi, is what he does. So he's older. He's a wiser man in the Lord. And his job is to look out for uh, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're gathered together in this church ecclesiastical court. And what they're gathered here for is the gospel has gone out, the gospel of the cross, which is the gospel, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, and it's gone out. And remember, Jesus says, I want it to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the Christian religion is an evangelical religion. So if you have family members that say, listen, 
If you're one of these born-again Christians, can't you just be quiet about this Christianity business and keep it at your, to yourself in the closet? And the answer is no, I can't. Why? Because our Lord says it goes everywhere. And we can't shut up about it because God would have even the rocks proclaim the gospel as it were. So the Christian religion by Christ's own design is evangelical. Evangel means good news. And evangelism is to give away the good news. And so the evangel is to go from, the scheme in the Bible is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So a Gentile is just a non-Jew. So Jesus, both before he ascends to heaven, well, actually, he rises from the dead in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and then before he ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1, he says, I want it to go everywhere. So Christ's servants have been busy obeying their master. They're profuse with the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. Any sinners they meet, they say, here, the gospel's for you. Now, I do believe in limited atonement. If you take off my, my shirt, I really do have a picture of Calvin. I really do believe in the L uh, limited atonement. I really do. But who the elect are is God's business. So I'm with Spurgeon. We are, we are to give it to everybody. And so the front of the door to heaven says whosoever. On the back of the door it says chosen before the foundations of the earth. That's God's business. So Christ's servants are busy giving the gospel out to any sinners they can find. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, God's busy converting Gentiles all over the place. They hear that Jesus saves sinners and they say, Thou, Son of David, have mercy. Boom. Now there's a problem. And part of the problem is some Jewish men who were members of the Jerusalem church under the ministry of James, they go down to Antioch, Syria. And what they're telling these Gentiles is, no, no, no. The gospel isn't Christ pays it all. No, no, no. Don't believe in that faith alone, grace alone business. It's you have to believe in Jesus. And then you remember what later they say in the beginning of Acts chapter 2? In order to be saved, check one, believe in Jesus. Check two, you have to be circumcised to, to be saved. And then you have to obey the law of Moses. You have to keep the law. So they say the gospel isn't Christ, the message of the cross as Paul was preaching. So you're not really a child of God simply by faith in Christ. You have to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. Beloved, let me ask you a question. Is that good news? In order to go to heaven, you have to perfectly keep the law of God. Is that good news to you? No, it's very bad news. Because we're all lawbreakers. We just read it from sanctification. We, do true Christians who love Jesus, do we still sin? How much? Thought, word, and deed. Every day. So if someone tells me the good news is, believe in Jesus, check. He pays for 80%. The other good news is, you pay for the other 20. Keep the law. What would that mean if that were true? We're all going to go to hell in our sins. That's what that would mean. That would not be good news. It would be kakos in Greek, bad news. And so there's this disagreement. Paul says the good news is Christ pays it all. Simply by faith, we're justified. That's Martin Luther. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, justified. That's it. Simple faith. No additions of the works of the law. And these legalists come along and say, oh no. They come to Antioch. James sent us to tell you the true gospel. But then later... In the book of Galatians, Paul says, James didn't send them. What do we call when someone says, James sent me, and then later the Holy Spirit says, he didn't send you? What do we call that? We call it a lie. These guys are teaching, you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, plus obey the law. And here's my questions from Romans 1 and 2. Is lying part of keeping the law that keeps you to heaven? 
You see what I'm saying? So when you hear people say, you know what, they call it covenant gnomism. They fancy, you got to make it fancy. And if you throw a few Latin words in there, you can bamboozle anybody. So they call it covenant gnomism, covenant faithfulness, all of this other, whatever they make it. Watch them. This is a Romans 1 or 2. Don't steal. Do you steal? Don't look at porn. Do you watch porn? Don't lie. Do you lie? And of course they do. So they're teaching you go to heaven through keeping the law. And so there's this synod. And the apostles and the elders come together and then they stand up. Um, uh, J, uh, uh, Peter stands up. And then, um, and then Paul and Barnabas stands up. And then James stands up. And they're quoting the Bible all over the place. And the book of Amos, chapter 9. And James says, no, God was always going to save the Gentiles by simple faith in Jesus. At the end, just before our passage, it's, and they finally came to the conclusion, no, the Bible teaches the way that we are cleansed of our sins, Jew or Gentile, simple faith in Jesus. We come to Christ naked. The only thing that we own is our sin. And he gives us all of his righteousness. And we receive him by the gift of faith. Even our faith is a gift. Even our repentance is a gift. And so then the, the council says, now, so they ruled against the legalists, against the Pharisee party. They said, you all are wrong. That's not a, that's not a gospel. That's bad news. You are wrong. And they, they come to the conclusion at the end of the synod, and they send the guys back to Syria, Antioch, with a letter. And then what you see in the progression of our passage, even moving into cha- chapter 16, maybe the first five or six verses, they're going to go to Syria, uh, Syria Antioch, Antioch, Syria, which is where this debate started. And then they go back through the churches in, in, uh, in uh, Cilicia and Syria. And then in chapter 16, they're going to take this letter through the churches in Galatia. And what they're going to be saying is, the gospel is Christ alone and pays for our sins. We receive by faith alone. That's the good news. And then in the same letter, they're going to be saying, works added to the law destroys the grace of God. They're wrong. And that's what's going out. And so what I want to do from, from this is kind of preach a thematic sermon. What did I call the sermon? Agreement and disagreement among Christ's servants. Well, that's what we just did. We had in this church synod one group saying, this is what the gospel is. The other group said, no, you're wrong. We're right. And they argued it, they argued it out. But how did they argue it out? With the Bible. With the Bible. Many years ago, I was invited to preach to a group of OPC, OPC, PCA, Reformed Baptist kids, kids. They were 18 to 25. And I preached on the doctrine of marriage and the doctrine of singleness. And these kids were a little bit younger than, maybe they were my kids' age, but maybe a little bit younger. My kids are older. And, um, and so we would have round-robin discussions. And they asked me, what about this? What about what that? And crazy stuff. And then I felt like 100 years old. Like, what kind of Christian asks these crazy questions? Like, this is against the Bible. And one time I said to the kids, do you mind if I just gently push back? And they said, sure. I said, you know what I've been hearing for three days at this, at this conference? From you guys, when I say, hey, the Bible says this about the marriage and about the whole relationship business, here's what I hear. I think I feel, I think I feel, I think I feel. What am I not hearing? You could say it. The Bible says. The Bible says. The synod concluded with, the Bible says. And they sent the guys back to all the various churches to say, the Bible says. 
So if I pitch something in a sermon or teaching and it's high to the right, not according to the Bible, you need to throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. It's only the Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says we are cleansed from our sins by faith in Christ. And so th- th- then they, they, they send the guys back. And I want to deal with this passage under two heads. I want to deal first with the general notion of agreement among Christians and disagreement among Christians. So one day you could have sweet unity and the next day it could be Katie bar the door, they're breaking out the boxing gloves. So I, I want to deal with that general idea of life in the Christian church. And when I say Christian church, uh, and I hope I disabuse anybody of this, some people are, are professional church hoppers, and I'm not picking on anybody. I hope you're not a professional church hopper. And, and, and as a professional church hopper, what you do is you bop around looking for the pers- per- perfect church. Oh, that minister, he's got sin. Oh, those people there have sin. I've got to go find. Well, the only place to find a perfect church with people that don't sin is, is where? So when I say what we're looking at teaches us about the nature of the Christian church on the earth, the visible church, take a you pick. It could be Baptist church, Presbyterian church, Episcopalian, non-denominational, which just means they hide their doctrinal distinctives. Not very well, but everyone's a denominational. They, everyone has doctrinal distinctives. But this is, a, this is applicable to everybody. All bodies of Christians are here. One day they agree with one another in doctrine and practice. The next day, they're pitching a fit with one another, having a sharp disagreement. I want to talk about what that teaches us generally. And then if we have time, I want to descend down to look at some things that we learn by the agreement that's going on among the brothers in that first section in Syria, Antioch. And then if we have time, which I hope we do, I want to look at Paul. I'm sad to say I'm a little upset with Paul, which is a bad, a bad thing to do. I'm a little upset with Paul for pitching a fit and not taking John Mark. I, I, I want to look at what we can learn even from the disagreements. The Bible says about the Bible, these things are written for our fill-in-the-blank. Instruction. This is a Romans. This is a 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Everything in the Bible is there for us. So when God says, look at the children of Christ, they're agreeing. That's written for our, for our edification. And then when we see Christians ready to choke one another in a loving kind of way, that's written for our instruction. Does that make sense? So God is showing the graces of his children and then God to his children. And this is important. If you criticize, who can criticize a family member? Test. Who can criticize your family member? Only kin. Only blood kin. So only sisters can call their brother up and say, Ma's doing this, Ma's doing that, blah, blah, blah. Dad did this, Dad did that. Only blood kin can pick on blood kin. If you're outside of the family and you pick on Ma, what happens? It's fighting words. It's Hatfields and McCoys. So God is revealing the blemishes of his children to his children. Does that make sense? So this is, here's... Good things in the family, and then family, get ready. Here's some, maybe some warts to the family, about the family, but it's for our instruction. I hope we can get there. Okay. The first thing I want to do is answer a uh, very common objection based on what we're looking at, the, the, the theme of agreement and disagreement among Christians. 
the very common objection to not becoming a Christian, to not becoming a Christian. I do believe that people become Christians, 1 John 10 through 13, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, we become Christians. Paul was trying to persuade Agrippa to become a Christian. One of the very common objections to becoming a Christian, and then we could tack on to that, going to church or attending a church, the objection runs like this. I don't want to become a Christian because I see so much sin among Christians. Have you ever heard that? I don't want to become a Christian because all of those Christians are so sinful. And so what they do is they point to stuff like this. Oh, you guys just had this church court where they, they had rigorous debate, which means they got animated. And then later in our passage, they have a sharp disagreement. So this is kind of, the tempers are flaring here. And so the naysayer says, look at the disagreements among Christians. Look at the debates. Look at the differences. If this is what it means to be a Christian, then I want no part because of what we see here. And so these kind of folks use the very similar argument to not attending church. And they say things like this. Christians are hypocrites. They say they love other Christians, but they don't. Therefore, that's why I don't go to church, because I'm not a hypocrite, and I don't want to hang out with hypocrites. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, my wife is from India, so I think Indian stuff all the time and read. Mahatma Gandhi used this argument, and he said... I think quasi-fake nice things about Jesus, but he used the species of this argument not to become a Christian. This is is Gandhi. He, He said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I want to read that again. This is the argument of, I don't want to become a disciple of Jesus because I see sin among disciples of Jesus. That's the argument. And he uses it. I like your Christ, Gandhi says. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Beloved, we're not called to so-called like Christ. We're called to worship Christ, to adore Christ, and to believe in Christ. We are called savingly to bring, I hate to use these words, our damn worthy sin to Jesus Christ. And then when we come to Jesus with our sin, we are called by God the Holy Spirit in the word of God to beat our breast and say what? Thou son of David, repeat it after me. Have mercy on me, the sinner. So if I could ask Gandhi, and I'll even put the suffix on in Hindi, which is G, Gandhi G. If I could ask, would you like the, the, the Christ of the cross? Would he like the blood of the lamb? Would he like the exclusive Christ? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would he like the judge Christ? No. We know the answer. Natural man is what, according to the Bible? Romans 3. He's a natural born liar. So when someone says, oh, I love Jesus. It's just you lousy Christians that I don't like. I would really follow Jesus if it wasn't for the lousy church that was fighting every at the drop of a hat. Beloved, There's a place in the Bible. I want to say um, Jeremiah, chapter 17. The heart is prone to what? Self-deception. The heart looks in the mirror and says what? Oh, man, you maybe have a little bad, maybe a touch of bad, but it's really from your parents. And, And so, but you're really, you're a good person. You're good down in your heart. You're good. 
When someone says, I don't go to church because all of the, I'm too good to go to church because that's where the bad people are, what's that an expression of? Pride. Pride. Gandhi was not being honest. Unbelievers are not, they, they, they don't reject Jesus because they find sin in Christ. That's a lie. The Bible says the reason they don't come to Christ, John 3, is because they're what? Their deeds are evil. In Luke 19, they will not have this man rule over them. So when we come here, the Bible says, here, look at the disagreements among Christians. I love this about the Bible. I didn't start reading the Bible until I was 26 years old. So if you're raised in a Bible-believing home, you ought to praise God he gave you a Bible-believing mom and dad and read that cotton-picking Bible every day. I didn't come to the Bible until I was 26. And then you come here and you're thinking, wow, Abraham's lion? And Noah's getting drunk laying around with his pants off? And, and Abraham's like, she's not, she's not my wife, she's my sister, and honey bun, don't say anything about me, I'll pick you up in the morning. And you, you see, like God just think like, Oh, he shows our he shows our warts. He shows he shows reality. This to me it doesn't testify against the validity of the Bible. It testifies in favor of it. So Jesus is in the saving sinners business and the sanctifying sinners business. And when we come here, we think, look at they're squawking all over the place. Praise, praise God! If you have been a Christian five minutes and you go to a visible church, what are you going to see in the next five minutes? A church split. We're Protestants. We split all over the place. There's the JPC, the, J- the OPC, the DPC. The J- the, we, we, we out JP everybody. And it's, two, it's two, cat, two, two, two guys in a house cat in a coffee pot, and we start our own denomination from this. But you can't find the perfect church until you die and go to heaven. This is encouraging because God is saying, these are the kind of people I save. These are the kind of people that I use. Praise God. That would be us. So we see these things. The answer to me is a smokescreen. And to say quasi-nice things about Jesus and to not love Jesus' his disciples is a denial of the, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll love those who love me. You'll love the brothers. And I'm going to say this. If you have family members that say to you, look at it, Jesus is fine. I would become a Christian. You just, Christians are so lousy. If people don't become Christians because they see that there's still sin in, in professing Christians, they're looking at the wrong object. Christ saves. The church doesn't save. We are a collection of saved sinners. So when I hear people do this, oh, look at all the squawky, squawky, squawk. My dad is dead. He died when I was young. But when he flew over Tallahassee, he said to me, yeah, I passed about 400 churches coming to your house. You Protestants do all that, da, 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 da. If If you're constantly doing this, the church is this, the church is that. Look at these lousy Christians. You know who you're not looking at? Jesus. Jesus. Even real Christians do this. Oh, the church this. Oh, the church that. You're going to be so depressed, you're going to be on psychotropics. Stop looking. We, we, we love to criticize. We love to find the fault. Look at Christ. Look at your need of Christ. Look at the benefits of Christ. Look at the beauty of Christ. And then the desire to pick, nitpick goes away. Okay. So we have the differences. And now in, again, just thematically, there are some differences among Christians that strike at what it means to be a Christian. Uh, um, should I take off my coat? Yeah. Um, when you, we use the word Christian, 
Sometimes I say true, go to heaven, Christian, and people get mad at me because I say it all the time. Externally, if someone says, I'm a Christian, we, we call them a Christian ex- externally, administratively, formally. You're a member of the church or something like that. What, what I mean when I say Christian is you're born again. You have saving faith. You're in Christ. There are tons of people in church, but they're not in Christ. They're in church, but not on their way to heaven. So there are things that we differ about in the Christian life, and the Christian religion, that strike at what it means to be a real go-to-heaven Christian. And there are things that don't. And the first thing that's being debated on what's the gospel, that's it. If you get the gospel wrong, you're not my brother and sister in Jesus. You're an evangelistic prospect. Now, I'm a love muffin, so I'm always going to treat you loving and kind and gently. So I don't... I'm, I used to be a yeller and screamer, and then God put me on the, the, the plan to not yell and scream, which is called the crucible. So even if you're an evangelistic prospect, I'm going to be kind to you and gentle to you, but you're not my brother. You're not my sister. So the church of my youth that says you're not justified by faith alone, you're justified by faith plus your meritorious good works, you're not my brother in Christ. I love you, but you're an evangelistic prospect. So there are things that we, we can differ with as professing Christians that strikes at what it means to be a go-to-heaven Christian. Do you agree with that? And so essentially they deal with the nature of God and particularly the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Strike at the person of Christ, strike at the work of Jesus Christ, and you're going to tell me which side of the fence that you're going to be on. So if the JW or the Mormon comes along and says he's the Archangel Michael or he's the spirit brother of Lucifer... You're not a Christian. I don't care if you have a radio show and lots of conservatives listen to you. You're not a Christian. Does that make sense? So debating over the gospel, this is not a minor thing. This is, this is not like I want to be a Baptist and get dunked and I don't want to get sprinkled or, or poured. This is not that. That's not a secondary or tertiary matter. That is a fundamental primary matter. So we have those differences that separate the men from the boys, the sheep from the goats. And then there are secondary or what I'll call tertiary issues, which we see with Paul and Barnabas squawking with one another. They say essentially, should John Mark still be a minister? No, because I think he choked, and I don't think he should be a minister, and you're wrong and I'm right. Those differences don't strike at what it means to be a true go-to-heaven Christian. Does that make sense? Is, where's Paul right now? He's in heaven. Where's Barnabas right now? He's in heaven. John, Mark, Silas, they're all in heaven. They disagreed with one another. Uh, my favorite uh, devotional writer, J.C. Rowell, Anglican. Um, I love him. I, I know he was an Amaraldian, but I still love him anyways. And, and do I differ with him on his Amaraldianism or on, even on his church polity? Yes. Where's J.C. Rowell? He's going to be way closer to the throne than I'm ever going to be. Secondary or tertiary doctrines we can differ with, we can ar- argue about... But it doesn't strike at what it means to be a Christian. Does that make sense? So when you see Christians, I'm not like a chat like chat line. I don't do like theological chat things. I got stuff to do. Like I have a job. And, and usually you're in a debate with someone that doesn't read the Bible, so it's a waste of time. So don't, uh, no extra charge for this. I wouldn't waste my time doing that. Um, get, get Calvin's commentaries or something. Like do, do something that's worthwhile. But anyways, when you see people debate, try to determine, is this thing gospel issue? 
or is it a non-gospel issue? So we want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. So if you come into the, we're Presbyterians. So is every sermon on church polity? No, hopefully every sermon has lots of Jesus in it because that's the major. If you believe church polity correctly and the, the gospel wrongly, where do you go when you die? Not where the Presbyterians who believe in the true Christ go. So we have that on the differences. Let's talk about finding differences, debates, sharp disagreements among church, let's just say on gospel issues. I, I want to say this. Where was it? The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter, is either 20 or 21, the Ephesian elders. He calls the Ephesian elders around, and they're all crying. And he says, listen, I have preached the word of God to you. I've preached the gospel to you faithfully. Out in your homes, God knows. God is my witness. I've been faithful. And he says, after I leave, do you remember the, you remember the text? He's talking to the elders. If anybody's an elder here, I want you to think of this. He says to the elders, you guys especially, be on guard, because after I leave here, ravenous wolves from among yourselves are going to rise up, and they're going to attempt to lead away the elect of God if possible by presenting a perverted Christ, a corrupted gospel. Jesus says the same thing in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. It's going to happen. So when people say... Well, I won't become a Christian because the church is, still has sin. I won't go to church because the church still has sinners. But the Bible says it's going to. The Bible says this is exactly... Read the book of Jude. People are... Where does the guy who deny the gospel, what job does he want to have? My job. He lusts for the pulpit. He lusts for the lectern. Read the book of Jude. This is what he wants. And he's going to have a British accent. He's not going to come wearing a red uh, clothes with a pitchfork. He's going to sound loving and kind and slick, but he's going to tack on good deeds to Christ's good, de- good deed. And the Bible says it's going to happen. So we are forewarned that there will be errorists. I don't, I don't mean terrorists, errorists on gospel. It's going to happen. So when you come into the church, it's not like, oh, I'm in a building that says church on it. Ah, I can rest. I don't even have to have my thinking cap on. Oh, no. When do we cease from the spiritual warfare? When we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So when you go into any church, this church, any church, get your Bible out. Is this Bible? And when he says, I'm quoting from the book I learned at book, Books a Million, everybody should leave. But, but he tells us in advance it's going to happen. And the other thing that um, we learn by the disagree- gospel disagreements is... Not only can the people that pervert the gospel, uh, sometimes folks will say this. They'll say, well, the ability for the church to be corrupted does not argue for the right use or the validity or the blessedness of the church. In other words, what I'm getting at is this. First Peter, First Timothy chapter 1. These guys came along, similar to these guys, and they said, look, it, we know the law. You guys don't know the law. We know the law. And we're going to teach you the law. And God the Holy Spirit through Paul tells Timothy, they don't know the law. They're, they're using the law in an unlawful way. They're corrupting the law. And then he turns around and says, the law is lawful and good when it's used lawfully and rightly. But it's awful when it's used wrongly. And so when people say, look at the church is corrupted, therefore they deny the doctrine of the church. Just because a lawful thing can be corrupted doesn't argue against the lawful use of it. 
let me ask you this question. Can food be misused? Yeah. Can marriage be misused? Yes. So when the people say, well, I deny the goodness of the church or the usefulness of the church or the blessedness of the church because it can be corrupted by disagreements and discord and therefore I deny it. Ask the people, so do you eat? You eat food? Do you get married? They're not honest. They're not honest. So the misuse of a thing doesn't argue against the rightness of a thing. So yes, the devil comes corrupting the church. The Bible says that he, he will. When gospel corruption comes into the church, the response the Holy Spirit works in the life of Christ's servants is what? To quit church and go home and play golf and never go to church again? Debate it out. Fight it out. On your knees, with the Bible, in love. Be a Berean. That's, that's what, this is why I, I was many things after I came out of the Roman church. I hung out with Baptists and Pentecostals and then found my way into the Reformed faith. In the independent church, if you go in and there's goofiness, you just bolt. You're just gone. But not in a Reformed Presbyterian setting. If the minister's goofy in a Reformed and Presbyterian church, you don't leave, he leaves. That's the beauty of the system. You, you, you fight it out with the Bible. And so when, when gospel error comes into the church, it's not a time to run away. It's a time to get down on your knees and do gospel, to defend the gospel. And that's exactly what these brothers do. Now, I want to ask you something. When these guys come with a perverted gospel, they say it's belie- the gospel is believe in Jesus and then keep the law of Moses. They add law to, to, to gospel, which is always what people do that pervert the gospel. They always make the law of the gospel. There's a guy, I'm not going to tell you his name. You probably have his book at his house, which I hope you don't. He says this, the gospel is the law and the law is the gospel. That's insane. That is bloody insane. The law is not the gospel. The law is not the gospel. The Ten Commandments are not the gospel. The, the, the Beatitudes are not the gospel. The gospel is John 3.16. The gospel is 1 Corinthians chapter 2.2. The gospel is not what we do. It's what Christ does. Don't listen to these guys. But they always make the gospel the law. Now, did those, were those guys sincere, do you think? Did they really believe it? On 9-11, were those guys that flew that plane into those buildings, did they, were they sincere in their error? Oh, yeah. They were true believers. They were true believers. Does being sincere in your gospel error, is that the litmus test of truth? Are my Hindu family, Mona's family, are they sincere Hindus? Oh, yeah. I'm about to meet them at Thanksgiving. And we're going to have the whole Jesus Hinduism, the whole thing. Are they sincere? Yes, but sincerity is not the litmus for truth. What's the litmus test for truth? The Word of God. But I will say this. As defenders of the gospel, and everybody should be. This is the first Peter chapter 3. You don't have to be a minister. You just love Christ and know the gospel. Your grown-up daughter comes and says she's going to you know, worship Sai Baba. You tell her the truth. You defend the gospel with the Bible. But how do you do it? If someone is sincerely deluded as to the truth of the gospel of Jesus, and they're sincere, how should you respond? The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. This is why I'm against the chat rooms, because everybody gets pitches of fit. But be kind to all 
able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them to repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And here's what I'm going to say. There are great things. We can pluck good out of that which is evil. What the devil means for evil to destroy the church with a corrupted gospel, we, in God's alchemy, can pluck boatloads of good. What do I mean by that? How many people can we meet who think the gospel is not Jesus alone? And they tell us that. And rather than pitching a fit going, oh, I'm never going to be around you, you lousy sinner. I need to go hang around some good OPC people. No, no, no. What has God just provided for you when you meet that guy that doesn't know the gospel, that girl? There's your mission field. There's your mission field. The person that doesn't know that they are a sinner in their sin, God says, here they are. And they don't know the Savior, and God says, here they are. Now you tell them. So if, if we looked at the differences in the church as a, as a divinely gifted privilege to lead people that don't know the truth in the truth, we wouldn't be as off-put with differences. We, we, we see that. One of the other good things that we pluck out of the disagreements and the debates over the gospel particularly, but even over other things, if you're a minister in the OPC, PCA2, elder, and I'm sure this is true in the Dutch-German side of things, we take vows as office bearers to seek the peace in the what of Christ church. You know your vow? That's exactly right. Our brother said it. He's an elder. Peace in the purity of the church. So when these guys are saying, that's not the gospel, this is the gospel, what they're doing is not a bad thing. So the unbeliever says, this is bad, this is fighting. No, 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 it's a very good thing. They're seeking the purity of Christ's church. If you go and the doctor, God forbid, says you have cancer, you want to expel that cancer from your body. You want to, you don't, you want to be pure, clean from that cancer. So don't look at a debate, particularly on gospel issues. Oh, that's bad. It could be wonderful. And the other thing, debating over these things, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you may know this. You know the passage that says, these debates and fights and differences must occur because it shows what? Do you remember what it says? If you've ever been in a church split, they're really nasty. They're usually not over gospel issues, though people always make it a God. Here I am, I'm Martin Luther. Here I stand. Where's the Wittenberg? It, 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 it's, it, it's, they always make themselves to be martyrs, even when they're just pitching a fit that they want pews rather than chairs. If you've ever been with them, is really nasty. You can blow up ministries, you can destroy families, you can wreck everything. And the Bible says, when you see people that walk in, I will wreck this joint and bring it to the ground, I don't care what's what, I'm right, everybody's wrong. The Bible says that thing is happening to show who is approved by God and who's not approved. What do you think of that? So the guys who say, hey, that guy's a pagan, that minister can't preach his way out of a paper bag, let's wreck this joint and start our own perfect church. The Bible says you mark that guy, you mark that woman, because they show who's approved or not approved. And we learn that. And that only comes out during this debate time. Does that make sense? It's kind of scary when you think about it, but that's what the Bible says. If someone 
married guys. I'll talk to all married guys. Every, all married guys, especially if your wife is sitting next to you. I want you to think, uh, look at all married guys with your wife sitting next to you. So, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking, you're somewhere. And some guy is running your wife down. They're running your wife down. I don't know what they would be saying, but they're saying bad things about your wife. And you're sitting there. And your wife is sitting next to you. What does she want you to do? Vindicate my honor. And if you don't, what's going to happen? You're sleeping on the couch for the next five months. Because you've not vindicated her honor. So when we look at these church debates, if we think rightly about them, it's ministers of Christ, servants of Christ, true Christians say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. When you tell me five bucks to the sisters of mercy is getting added to the blood of Jesus Christ, you're besmirching the blood of Christ. I'm going to stand up for the honor of Jesus. That's what's going on. Now let's talk about the, the advice goes to Syria, Antioch. And they, they tell the Gentiles there, hey, the gospel is believe in Christ and be forgiven of your sins. And what's the response by all these people? They're happy as clams. What are they being told? God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I like, I like that one. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. I've always wanted to say that. He loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life in Christ. You're fully forgiven. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're, you're a daughter of God. You don't have to do these other things because you can't do them. You're forgiven. You're reconciled. Beloved, I was 26 when I was converted. Sometimes folks are converted like John the Baptist or like a kiddo you can't remember. Is there anyone in this room that was converted, converted, converted to Jesus? You knew what it was like to live in the pig pen, and now you know what it's like to be found in Jesus. Do, do you know that? What did you feel? I hate to use the word feel, but I'll have to use the word feel. What did you feel like? What does that feel like? I cannot believe this. Me. A guy that eats and drinks and lives for sin is forgiven. Me, a guy who's a tool of the devil, God says, you're a child. Think of this. Does the Holy Spirit not do this to you for, as a Christian? You're driving down the road, bitty bopping, thinking about something, and the Holy Spirit says, whammo, here's some sin that you used to do. And you think, ay, 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 Katie, bar the door. I did it. And in the very next instance, you're forgiven. No condemnation. What does it do? Praise God. And that's what happens. The brothers come. Those guys were wrong. Paul's right. You're right. And they praise God. And look at the means how God edifies his people. It tells us in the text. I think it says movies, back rubs, and Tai Chi class. I'm only kidding. We passed a long time ago. A church had a petting zoo. And I thought, I'm toast. The only thing I have is the Bible and sacraments. That guy has a petting zoo. And you, you need a line. You have a, 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 a line a, a mile long of people go. All the mothers taking the kid to the goat. I'm being silly, but not really silly. silly. You, you know this. Come to our church. We have weightlifting class. We have the magic kingdom. And we have good coffee. How does God build his people up? Through the ministry of the word. Boring. But not for, not for sheep. And notice what he says. This is the pre preacher's passage. Look, this, he, he, says, uh, he says, look at verse 32. That's the preacher. I think I have this highlighted in my Bible. You notice what it says? Lengthy sermons. No 15 minutes and out. 
No, you need at least an hour and 40 minutes. But so he, he builds the people up, and the people are aesthetically happy. And here, in relationship to our general discussion on agreement and disagreement, unity and disunity, this, is, this passage is what the naysayer never acknowledges. Unbelievers, all they can do is find bad with Christians. Look at the Christians, they're lousy. Look at the church, it's lousy. They never find any good. Look at here. They're all in agreement, there's unity, there's joy, there's happiness. Let me ask you a question. You answer this for yourself. In your family, hypothetically, of course, nobody in this room, might our families be a wee bit imperfect? A wee, a wee bit. I won't tell you how I'm perfect. Where's Uncle Bob? Uncle Bob is not here. Uncle Bob has gone away. Where Uncle Bob went, we can't talk with non-family. And he would go away for stretches of time. So when we, when we look at family, are there things that are kind of nutty in our family? But are there things that are beautiful and loving and good? And so we look at our family, and yep, we're crazy as jaybirds, completely nutty as jaybirds. But look at the good. I got a sister to give you a shirt off her back, but not a Christian. She's a Unitarian. Look at the good. So the unbeliever, all he says is blemishes, 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 because unbelief is, they're biased against the truth. So they never see good in Jesus. They never see good in the church. But can't we, if you, you look, look at the church. Someone told me the other day, they used the phrase sausage making. And when young guys tell me, Pastor, I'm called to the ministry, and I say, I hope you like sausage making. Because being a minister is like making sausage. It ain't pretty. But it's glorious. This is Christ's church. We're a sausage-making factory. And, but then you see the goodness. People going from sin to the Savior, from darkness to light. You see both. And then let's, let's say, let's talk two, two minutes on, on the disagreement. So Paul, Paul a true believer, handpicked by the Lord Jesus. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. 13, 14 if he writes uh, Ephesians, I mean uh, Hebrews, which I, depending on the day of the week, I, I, 13 at least. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And instructed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Best evangelist that's ever lived. So true Christian. Then Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Super Christ-like guy. He was Joseph the Levite. And he, he's traveling around with, with, with Paul. He's suffering for, for preaching the gospel. He, remember, remember Barnabas? When Paul was converted, it was Barnabas that took Paul and said, Hey, hey. You should see him. And everybody's like, get this guy out of here. It was Barnabas that brought him to the church. And so now there's discussion. Let's go back and see all the churches, says Paul. Barnabas says, let's take my cousin. Some people think it was his nephew, his sister's son. Let's take my cousin, John Mark. To which the Apostle Paul says, what? No, he's a quitter. Ministry is hard, and it's no place for quitters. That's what Paul says. Now, I don't like to disagree with the inspired Apostle Paul. But when he says, it's no place for quitters, this is just testifying what he said. is not testifying to the rightness or the wrongness of it. There's a sharp disagreement. Paul, Paul says, no, ministry is hard, it's not for quitters. And, and Barnabas says, give a guy a second chance, let him go. So is, it, has Paul slipped into his former Pharisaism? Is he being just a hard nut? And is... Um, is uh, Barnabas being too lenient? And it's his cousin. So if it's his cousin, is he guilty of nepotism? Is ministry a place for quitters? Is the Christian church 
Does Jesus use quitters? I hope he does. My father used to have a saying. He was not a Christian either. We're all bozos on the bus. Um, I believe that. We're converted bozos on the bus if you're a Christian, but we're still a bozo on the bus. Why do I know that he uses quitters? Peter stood up and said, I swear to God, three times, I don't know Jesus. Then he says to the Galatian church, I guess it's not faith alone because I'm afraid of those Jews over here. I'll be over here. Twice. And Jesus does what to the quitter? Go feed my lambs. So Paul, Paul's wrong. Ministry is for quitters. It is for broken people that stumble and fail. And I, I think Paul maybe forgot himself. What did Paul do when they were killing um, uh, Stephen? Yeah. I think we should kill him. So is being a murderer worse than chickening out on the ministry? Which is worse? Beloved, I'll tell you what. This is classic Puritanism. A Pharisee is easy on self and harder on other people. As Christians, we should be harder on ourselves and easier on other people. Barnabas has has muled it out with Paul. He is slave day and night with Paul. He says, come on, man, give my, my cousin a second chance. Let him go. And Paul says, what? No. And there's a sharp disagreement. I mean, tempers are flaring among true Christians. This is good, this is good news. You think, those two Christians are really, they're really not happy. Yeah, they're really not happy. And they're really forgiven. They're really loved. And they're really messing up and they're really sinning. But they're still loved. This is good news. I'm going to tell you something. After they split, you never find them together again after that. You may know this. You could be chugging along with a friend in Christ. You are paisans. You love these people. They love you. You're buddies with them. You have a squawky squawk. You're never friendly with them again in this life. You can lose a friendship like that. Is that not right? You can lose a friendship with mom or dad or sister or brother, son or daughter like that because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that occurs. Is he being too lenient? I don't think so. Is our God a God of a second chance? If you blow it two times, are you out? How many times? Praise God. And they split. There's some, t- there's some disagreements that Christians make. Real Christians, they love Christ, and Christ loves them. They, they cannot come to, the, to meet in the middle. You go your way, I go my way. Will God even use that? Yes, He will. He'll use even the sins of His people to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. And towards the end of Paul's ministry, he says, send for John Mark. He's useful to me. He changed his heart. Beloved, th- 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 this is us. We're here. We stumble and bumble. We still have sin. We have our views. Our views are always right. Everybody that differs with us is always wrong because that's not our view. We need, to be on, <laughs> we need to be on guard against the world of flesh and the devil. And the more that we draw close to Christ and the more that we beg the Holy Spirit to govern us, 
the, the, the less of this division we'll find. But even this, God will work to his glory. May, may God be pleased with the preaching of his word.